Hello, everybody. You cut, you cut me off. I'm sorry. Hello, everybody. <laughs> so I was talking to my brother. We're Scott. And no, no, no. no, okay, no wait, okay. wait, 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 wait. So I was talking to my bro. And he was like, dude, did you look up scripturosity? And I was like, no. Oh, and like, no. no, it's entirely taken. Oh, so we no. had we had a great two weeks of scripturosity. Well, luckily we didn't do any rebranding. <laughs> I know. On anything. <laughs> except, on anything. Except no. for saying it. So We said it. So for the, all of you who have tuned in in the last two weeks and you're new to us, then we're not actually. We're Welcome to the Word on the Hill. With the lanky guys. <laughs> I'm Father Peter Musset. I'm Scott Powell. And we're not scripturosity. We're coming to you live from Boulder, though, which is awesome. Dude, my voicemail my voicemail message. Yeah. Um, is it like people are like, is that even you? And I'm like, hello. You've reached Yeah, it's very professional. You've reached Father Peter Musset. I am currently unavailable. But if you'd like to leave a message, you can give it to me when you get to the beep. So what is scripturosity? I don't know. My brother just he did the investigations and he just relayed it to me. I didn't actually look it up. <laughs> Which makes me feel That's totally that makes me feel totally lame. That's all right. Yeah. Oh well. That's okay. It well, was a good run while it lasted. Well, the day that we're recording the podcast, I mean this is not the Sunday or Thursday or no, whatever before. Oh, it's a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday. We always record. So when we uh, uh at one o'clock on Wednesdays, pray for us. One o'clock on Wednesdays. I mean, Mountain Standard Time. That Mountain, is. What's that song? Isn't there a song? Mountain Standard Time. Yonder Mountains. No. If, yeah, anyway. I don't know. It's a friend I know that didn't make it very big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but today, my friends, we are super excited that you've joined super us. Super excited. And um, <laughs> today is actually going to be the Feast of St. Matthew and the it 25th is? Sunday of our ordinary time. Yeah. The, the, the thing doesn't tell me that. I mean, it's 25th Sunday of ordinary time. Well, Saint, yes, I know Saint that. Matthew, but... Actually, I don't. I know. didn't know Saint Matthew. What? There's no readings in honor of him, though. I know. Or there don't appear to be. I don't know. I I wonder if we. Well, use we are the from prayers. the Gospel of Matthew. I mean, I don't know. I don't, well, apostolic stuff probably usually does not trump Sunday, which is kind of intense if you think about it. Yeah, that's fair because it's a movable feast, right? It's not like always on the 25th Sunday. Isn't there like a, a book of poetry called Movable Feasts? <laughs> Maybe. I, don't I haven't read it myself. I will go to Innisfree Coffee Shop and Poetry House and find it. That will be a beautiful idea. Nice. All right, 25th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Our probably first the Feast of St. Matthew. Is uh, Isaiah 55, 6 through 9? Yes, it is. I just, wa- I just really want to interrupt you all day today. Thanks, man. How do you feel about that? Trying to make it worth your time, everybody. <laughs> okay, Psalm. our psalm, our sponsorial psalm, is Psalm 145. Which we've never read before, ever. Oh, we have mm-hmm. a lot of times. And Verses then, 2. Uh, oh, yeah. Stop oh, yeah. I'm me sorry. Off. I'm sorry. 145, verses 2 through 3, 8 through 9, and 17 through 18. Father Peter, what is the strove? Uh, the versicle <laughs> <laughs> is actually 18A. Your face was half the humor there. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I, to all of you who didn't get to see I, it. I, dude, the fact, yeah, the fact that I actually knew the versicle. Let's be it's honest. It's really called the versicle. Well, the ver- versicle is actually the name of the character. If you ever have a V with a slash through it, yeah, that is the character called the versicle. Which, if you've ever tried to lay out anything for the church, you know that you actually have to create your own versicle um, because most fonts do not include it. Or if a, an R has a, a, a slash through it, I don't know if it's the responsicle. <laughs> That's oh, the... man, I hope it's the responsible. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. All right, let's get on with the second reading, Nicole. Um, that's uh, from... That uh, was dumb. I'm sorry. Th- dude, that second you didn't reading... Even, you didn't even acknowledge it. I didn't acknowledge it. It was so one, bad. It really okay. was that bad. Thanks, man. 
We're into Philippians um, 1, 20C to Don't 24. Philippian out on me. And um, and then and the gospel. It, it, well, no, the then we go- have 27A oh. Oh, at, the ver- at the very end. Just of throw it in there, baby. Which is just kind of a weird, I mean, like, let's just skip to 27A. Let's throw a little bit of something in there. Well, it's a good line. It is a good line. And it rounds out the picture. We'll talk about it in a minute. Hey, man, I like round pictures. The gospel is from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16A. <laughs> okay, good night, everybody. <laughs> good night, everybody. Thanks Thank for you listening. For the, <clears throat> Dude, that was like so straightforward. I didn't even know what to do with that, man. What was straightforward about it? All the interruptions <laughs> that we gave each other? No, they just think there was Matthew any 21 to 16A. Oh, that specific like, I didn't, part. I didn't get to interrupt you at all. You could have had you been quicker. All right. Uh, I read our reviews the other day. Oh, no. Heavens and, to Betsy. Dude, they were fun. Oh, good. Okay, except we, for that one. We have a decent amount. But every time like, I like at the reviews, I look at the fact that I reviewed our own podcast. and Don't I, tell people that. Yeah, but you, they don't know which one I, I am. I'm going to tell them. No, you're not. Don't tell them. Okay. Come on. Okay. I mean, actually, if you know me at all, you would know. That's not true. If I knew, I know you quite well, and there's no... You don't know my online handle? Yeah, I do because of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the only reason I know it. If I didn't know that, I wouldn't know it. It's like a little mystery, everybody. You can figure out you which can't. which it's comment is to Father and Peter's. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah. All right, we should get this show on the road. Get this boat on the water. Get this train on the tracks, baby. Get this, uh, get this plane on the jet stream. Get this scooter on the... The bike lane. <laughs> get, this, uh, the, the, get this get tire this tire on the road. Get this baby head out. Ma- laying. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> it just, what? What's wrong with that? I I don't I don't know. Is that can we say that? I don't know if it's legal. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> well. Okay, dude. Matthew. No, <laughs> Isaiah. <laughs> did, did you? Seriously, okay. Isaiah, what no, what has happened to no, you no, no, and me Isaiah, today? We're like slap happy. Isaiah fifty five. Okay, oh, we all know Isaiah. I, I see. Here's the thing: a lot of you guys listen a lot, so I sometimes I feel like I'm repeating myself or I'm a broken record, and I don't want you guys to get annoyed. But some of you are probably listening for the first time, so you don't know what the Gospel of Isaiah or what the Book of Isaiah is. <laughs> it's ironic. I said that. Fun fact. Isaiah was often called the fifth gospel because there's so much embedded about the Messiah oh. and what he's going to do and who he is. Oh, it's yeah. often called the fifth gospel. So I wasn't, you, you shouldn't make fun of me as much as you just did. I actually have called it the gospel of Isaiah before too. So yeah, you also said versicle. All right. Uh, I know. Um, so you, you guys know that, know the drill, the crash course on Isaiah. First half of Isaiah is the book of warning or the book of woes. <laughs> Whoa. That's the sound a drill makes. What? If you Thank were to, you. Okay. Why? So come on. Okay. There's. Wait. There's, I don't. I want to get the joke. No. It's just that's what a drill sounds like. You guys know the drill. Oh, come on, dude. I, didn't, I I don't know what I say when it comes out. Of my mouth. <laughs> okay. Okay. So there's, the book there's of con- three the parts. Book of woes. Two parts. Well, then what's the, what's the deal with Tertio Isaiah? Oh, Trito Isaiah. Yeah. Tertio Isaiah. <laughs> So, I mean, one of the, a common uh, belief is that Isaiah was actually written by three different authors, partially because it spans so much time and it covers so much of the prophetic. So Isaiah really speaks to a lot of things that haven't happened yet. There is something in modern biblical scholarship called the hermeneutic of suspicion, which Which is is the idea. What? Which is in contrast to the hermeneutic of continuity. It is in contrast, yeah. 
Okay. That's fair. That's fair to yeah, say. Yeah, hermeneutic of suspicion is the idea that oh, if we study the scriptures on a secular level, just on a you know face value, and there's something within the scriptures that seems to be prophetic or pointing towards something that hasn't yet happened, or even speaking about the miraculous, those things can't actually be miraculous or prophetic or future telling because that's impossible, right? It's a naturalistic way to view the Bible. So the only possible explanation, if Isaiah was speaking about things that Isaiah hadn't experienced yet, is if someone later came back who had experienced those things and put the words back in Isaiah's mouth. Got it. Same thing. People claim that with the Gospels, too. There's no way they could have actually talked about, you know, Jesus couldn't have foretold his own crucifixion and resurrection. Therefore, someone like Matthew or somebody else had to have gone back in later and put those and things in Jesus' mouth. Yeah. Right. That's the hermeneutic of suspicion. So, you know, it's not a hill I'm going to live or die on. Maybe there were three different editors that went into composing Isaiah. I see no—most of that theory is based on the fact that there cannot be prophetic— and that it covers such a broad period of time that Isaiah didn't actually even live through the entirety of the, what the book covers. But what we believe, and, and originally what he's what he's doing and showing, is that he's looking forward to things that God has not yet done. Yeah. And we believe in a God who can actually reveal some of those things to people to show, to point ahead to things that have not quite yet happened. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Totally. So I don't necessarily buy... Um, there's actually a great book by a, a, a good, a, like a, a, a mainstream scholar called, I think it's called Reading Isaiah, or something like that. But it's one of the only academic books out there that actually makes a case for the whole, the integrity of the whole of the oh. Isaiah. So anyway. Dude, that's great. So anyway, we're coming from the second part of the book. The second major part. The first part of the book is basically you guys have messed up. You've broken the covenant. You've disobeyed God. There's going to be punishment. Second half of the book, starting in chapter 40, is called the Book of Constellation or the Book of Comfort, which again says you guys have messed up, you've broken the covenant, you're going to be punished. But after your time of punishment, God is going to restore you. And he's not only going to restore you, he's going to restore all of the nations with you. You are going to be a beacon. There's going to be this renewal of all of creation, literally. It's a very beautiful paradigm. But they're hearing these things while they're in exile or slavery or captivity, right? Yeah. So... That's the lens you have to kind of look at the second half of the book with. Um, specifically, chapters 55 and 56 are about the Lord's call to, to, to salvation, how he wants all of us to be saved, and a reminder of the covenant blessings that he gives. Got it. So what we get, and it's a very short passage, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wounded—I'm sorry. Let the scoundrel forsake his way. Who's the scoundrel? Well, it's Israel in this context because you've turned astray. You've gone, you know, after other gods. You've done that, all sorts of stuff that have hurt you. So let the scoundrel, like you guys, forsake his way. Let the wicked, his thoughts, let him turn to the Lord for mercy. Because remember, this whole half of the book is about God's mercy and how he will give it if we just ask for it. Uh, to our God who is generous and forgiving, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are uh, are your ways my ways, said the, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts above your thoughts, uh, my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. Um, the first part of this reading is just kind of a, a commentary on what's going on with Israel. Okay, you're in this situation, forsake your ways, there is mercy, there is salvation. But then the second part of the reading is what ties directly into the gospel, where God says, okay, because the question is automatically, I mean, if you're living in exile and you're being told that God is going to uh, give you mercy and he's going to be generous and forgiving and reconcile all these things, your first thought has to be, okay, well, how are you going to do that? What's it going to look like? What's it going to be like? And God's sort of implied answer to that is, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are so far above your ways, you can't even comprehend them. 
that fits perfectly in the gospel reading because um, this guy in the parable is going to do something that seems completely harebrained. But it's also speaking about the fact that when God saves you, when he enacts all the things that the second part of Isaiah is talking about, yeah. it's not going to be like what you expected. <clears throat> Got it. And ironically, when Jesus does show up and do all of these unexpected things, people actually, on some level, should have known the prophetic warnings that, look, it's not going to look like how you think it's going to look like. But everyone misses it. A lot of people miss it despite that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. One of the problems, though, that comes into the midst of this is that um, this is Isaiah actually talking about a period before grace. Before uh, Is that entirely true? Well, I mean, be- before— Grace is still there. It's I not... mean, grace as sanctifying grace. I mean, we, right. have, we have actual graces that are like— Yeah. That are, yeah. That are drawing like the, the reality of Israel in. But like the, the new grace found in Christ is— yeah actually the indwelling of the spirit to the place where we actually can have our thoughts conformed to the will of God and that we can actually know the divine plan. It says, you know, you have been granted to know all the mysteries and understand them. But I mean, in this time, uh, uh, Isaiah had the particular gift. I mean, he saw the, he saw the mystery. Yeah. But I don't even know if Isaiah knew what that was going to look like. You know what I mean? He's he's sort of told. It's not right. simple dictation that God is doing, but well, he had the vision of the suffering servant. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, but again, there's hindsight no, there's... is twenty twenty. You know, I mean, that's the thing about this is yeah. that it's so easy to look back. This is this is, I think, the cause of anti-Semitism. It's so easy to look back at these things as Christians in light of what Jesus Christ did and the grace that's now been given to us in a in a supernatural, in a sanctifying way, right through yeah. baptism, and look back. And these people who didn't have the sanctifying, who didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who didn't have these things and say, wow, what boneheads, you totally missed the boat. You didn't see this, how <laughs> obvious it is yeah. that Isaiah is talking about a suffering servant. Well, about a chapter and a half later, he also talks about God coming with a mighty strong arm to slaughter all of his enemies. Okay, so how do you reconcile those two things? Does Which one does God do? Well, he does both. But it's actually, you know what I mean? I, I imagine that there's going to come a day when we hopefully are in heaven, I pray, and we look back at something like the book of Revelation, we're like, oh, obviously that's what that all meant, right? Ding dong. But when you're on this side of it, it's harder to see. So I always have a little bit of sympathy for our, for even Isaiah, because he sees this, but he simultaneously, and that's an important thing for us to realize about how confusing it was when the Messiah did come. I mean, he sees this vision, yes, of a suffering servant, and simultaneously a servant who's going to come and slaughter all their enemies. Who's the true enemy? It's not Rome. I mean, that that's the problem. They it's misunderstood who the enemy yeah, was. Yeah, absolutely. He does slaughter death. He does slaughter Satan. He does those things. Well, how? Through suffering and as a servant. But again, when you're on the other side of that, you're like, okay, I, I get all the facts, but I don't see how they fit together. Just the facts, man. But that's important, I think. Because it's I, sometimes I think we underestimate how profound it is that we actually have the eyes of faith. Well, yes, and that's actually what I— uh, And how also, humbling that should be. Yes, and well, and that's what I was trying to get at a little bit. Yeah, and, and that's like, that's what you sparked my imagination when you said that. It, it's good. It was good. Yeah. Let's <sighs> let's respond with a psalm. Oh, oh, the responsorial psalm? First the time, Lord baby. Lord is near to all who call upon him. That's my tone that I made up for that one. You guys can use it and free of charge. that is specifically for Stephanie Saffold Woodridge. That's for you, Stephanie. Dude, Ste- there's a few people who get lots of shout outs on this podcast. Well, because she's constantly telling us not to sing. Oh. She actually sent us a message that said, don't sing any more crappy hymns. 
This one is for you, oh Stephanie Woodbridge. She has to know that when she asks us not to do that, she's begging. I think she she must know that she secretly wants it. She wants us to sing. She we, wants we us sing. to sing. And you know, I uh, I like musicals. <laughs> I I just have, I have Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain, and the waving wheat will sure smell sweet when the wind comes right behind the rain. Okay. Bang. So, anyway. 145. Um, the Lord is near to all who call upon him. What's the strobe again? The 18. It's 18, right? Yes. 18. Yeah. So, the Lord is near to all who call upon him. Every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord. How to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. That's sort of the key connecting point, I think, to yes. the first reading. Yes. The unscrutable ways. Unsearchable. Unknowable. It's so far beyond us that we just don't see it. But I, I almost want to hold off on my thoughts at least on this, because that strove, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, I think is the key to understanding the gospel. Mm. But I don't think we can quite get at it without the gospel reading in place. So I want to just kind of tuck that away for for the moment. Tucked. But you, to, you have any thoughts? No, no. I don't want to be flippant about the next reading, so let's oh. go right into it. Nice. Well done. Hey, I mean, like, that's the standard that's joke, good. man. It is flippant. I was uh, t- uh, Scott and I. We were making lunch, and Scott made some really silly joke, and I was like, "Dude, I'm so happy you're a dad, and I'm a dad." I made an awesome joke. Yeah, I mean, it was a dad joke. What was it? It was I hilarious. I can't I'm even sure. It was totally hilarious. <laughs> totes hilarious. It was totes hilarious, dog. <laughs> Yeah, I just feel like I went back to like 1982 all of a sudden I don't in think the they valley. They said totes in 1982. They wished they did. They wished they said totes. All right, I can't find Philippians, Roman Catholic Gentiles, brothers and chops. brothers and sisters. Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Did you not even acknowledge my mnemonic? What was your mnemonic? Roman Catholic Gentiles eat pork chops. Oh, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Dude, that was pretty epic. And if you want to throw in the T books like Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus, you could yeah. say Roman Catholic Gentiles eat pork chops too. <laughs> I stole that from our friend Wei San Juan. Way no no way. Oh, uh, good job. Good job. Yeah. Good job. All right. Philippians. For to me, life is Christ and death is gain. If yeah. I go on living on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for labor for me. And I do not know what which I shall choose. I am caught between the two. I long to depart this life and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But that yet that I remain in the flesh is more necessary for your benefit. Skip a bunch of verses. <laughs> Only conduct yourselves in a way worthy of the gospel. Okay, here's the so much to say about this. So much, dude. Hit me in. The Let's face start with this. the last line. How about that? The verse twenty-seven. Okay. Verse twenty-seven is one of the operating verses of this entire book. Okay. Because what it says in ancient in Koine Greek, which is what this was originally written in. Um, is different than what it says in English. The reason that we translate it this way is because we don't have a word in English for the word that it actually uses there. So when it says conduct yourselves in a way worthy of the gospel of Christ, what it actually says in Greek, it uses the word. So uh, last week's reading was also from Philippians. Okay. And remember it was the, excuse me, it was the canonic hymn. Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. For Christ did not count, God did not count equality with Christ did not count equality with God's something to be grasped at, so he emptied himself, himself, poured himself out right to the form of the cross. Mm-hmm. And we life. talked about that idea of pouring himself out in totality to the point of death, even death on a cross. How would that have struck the listeners in the church in Philippi? Who who did the church in Philippi consist of? Well, I mean, if they were listening to the Psalms, they would be struck by the acrostic uh, portion. 
of Psalm 145. No, they were talking to um, <laughs> a, a patriot. What's the matter with you? The patriots, ex, uh, ex-military. Ex-military, right? Who were now reaping the benefits of their citizenship in the nation of Rome, in the empire of Rome. And they had they had Roman citizenship, which got them out of all the ta- these taxes and all sorts of stuff. So, I mean, to them, the idea of citizenship is probably one of the most important concepts that they have, right? Oh, yeah. So here's what Paul says in Greek. This is my closest rendering that I can do. He says, only citizen yourselves in a way worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ooh. Now, we don't have the word citizen in a way that can be used as a verb, but Greek does. You can use the word citizen as a verb. Wow. So he says, citizen yourself in a manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Their big thing is presumably their citizenship in Rome. That's a huge deal to them. Yeah. And he's saying your true citizenship, citizenship is mentioned over and over in this letter. Your true citizenship is somewhere else. By the way, do you know where Paul is when he's writing this letter? Uh, is, there's a, it's he, a, the odds are good. Jail? Yeah, he's in prison like usual. Who's imprisoning him? Uh, <clears throat> Roman soldiers? The Roman government. So the very government that is actually supplying this great coastal community for you to live in, and you're reaping all the benefits that you've given your lives for, presumably, are actually holding me hostage for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where does your citizenship lie? I mean, this is why, you know, this is the kind of stuff that could get you killed in Philippi. I mean, this is a big deal. Yeah. We'll find out in this letter that they're actually being persecuted. We don't know exactly what the details of that persecution are, but, I can, you know, you can wager a guess, right? This would be a... The fact that they I mean, you you think covenant communities are bad, man. Filled with a bunch of soldiers, you know what I mean? I'm sure there were strict covenants. The HOA were the HOA was like seriously rough in Philippi Philippi. Heights. (laughs) Philippi Um, Heights. Listen to what he says. I want to back up a little bit just because I'm. We didn't talk about the first reading that much, so I'll make up for it here because I love Philippians. Might be one of my favorite books outside of Romans. Wow, I love it. I love, love, love it. But Paul is in prison at the time. Please excuse me. I have a little cold, so pardon me. Yeah, you do. Paul's in you prison. got some sniffles. I got some stuff on the mic. <laughs> Sorry. No, you didn't. I think it's just as a chip. Anyway, <laughs> Paul's in prison. <laughs> Come out on, of, man. Out of your nose, Love dude. That's me. messed no, up. No, no. It's out of somewhere else. Okay. Um, <laughs> Paul's in prison, right? <laughs> and um, let's see. What's he, what's he say here? This is. I'm going to start in verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12. He says this, I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to him? Imprisonment. He's been imprisoned. So that it has become known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard is a very special brand of, of uh, Roman centurions that exist only in Rome and I think Caesarea. There's like the Secret Service or something. Almost. Yeah, it's a, they're a big deal. To the whole Praetorian Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. By the way, what does the word Christ mean? King. The king. So one of the things, whenever I, I teach Philippians, I challenge students to cross out everywhere it says Christ and write in king. Because if you read it that way and you read it to a community that's very patriotic to the empire of Rome, it has a whole different flavor to this letter. Well, last week, I mean, when we were talking about um, Christ Jesus and yeah. actually uh, how... King how Jesus. Yeah, just like flipping it around, like yeah. it's totally changed the way I actually even pray in the mass, being able to say like, oh yeah, King Jesus, like... Dude, it's kind of cool. Totally. It's not his last name. No. Joseph and Mary Christ, who live on Elm Street. Whoa. Uh, anyway, I don't know how to silence that on the computer. No worries. Okay. Um, that my imprisonment is for Christ. So, I mean, he's imprisoned by Caesar, ultimately. And he says it's become known to the whole Praetorian Guard and everybody else that my imprisonment is for the king. Who's imprisoning him? The king. Who's his imprisonment for? The true king. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's deep meaning in Ooh, these Ooh, that's really, that's a rich, rich parallelism. Yeah. And he says, and most of the rest of the brethren have been made confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment. And now they're much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. 
So I imagine, you know, imagine, um, I don't know, imagine Archbishop Aquila, who's our Archbishop here in Denver. Imagine he is placed in prison for preaching the gospel. You know, we come to a point where we can't actually speak about our faith, and he proclaims Jesus Christ, and he's put in prison for it. I bet a lot of people around here would get very, you know, we'd freak out and we'd get very afraid, but I bet a lot of other people would become even more confident and say, hey, they, they can't do that. Yeah. We need to speak up. We Absolutely. have to be more vocal. That's yeah. what's happening with Paul. He says, my imprisonment is actually empowering and making more confident people so that they are speaking up as well. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. He says, this, verse 15, some indeed preach the king, Christ, from envy and rivalry. Others do it from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, but the former proclaim Christ out of partisanship, not sincerely, but only thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So take what Paul's saying for a second. We work in ministry, and anybody who's working in ministry knows that ministry can get political, and it gets weird, and people can be jerks because people are people, right? Yep. So he says there's people out there that are preaching Christ sincerely. There's others who are preaching Christ only seeking to inflict me. Like, they're stabbing him in the back. Oh, can you believe that, Paul? He must not be a legit apostle. He's some idiot. You know, he got himself thrown in prison. He's making us all look bad. Who knows what they're saying? But there's people preaching that are stabbing Paul in the back. And anybody that's worked in ministry, you know how, how hard it is and how heartbreaking it is that Ugh. when someone who is in ministry with you actually turns their back on you or stabs you in the back. I mean, there's, I don't know if there's anything more painful than that, right? There isn't. That's what they're doing to Paul. And he's sitting in a prison cell Oof. because of it. But look, listen to what he says. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So you know what? If there's people proclaiming the name of Christ just to mock me and stab me in the back, guess what? If people are hearing the name Christ, I rejoice. Even if they're using it to stab me in the back and call me a jerk, if people are hearing the name of Jesus Christ, then I rejoice in that, whether they're using it against me or not. I mean, the ability to actually say that. I think it's really profound. Absolutely. It's very powerful. Again, especially if you've been in that sort of circumstance. So it's fresh from saying that, that Paul then enters into what he's about to say, which is in our reading. And I, we don't have verse 19, but I'm going to start there anyway, because that's what's next. He says, yes, I shall rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, this imprisonment, this terrible situation that I'm in. He says, as it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If it is to be life in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Uh, yet which I shall choose, I cannot yet tell. Is that where it stops? Um, I'm, I'm looking, I have my translation. Then he goes on. Uh, oh, it jumps, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, for to me, life is Christ and Christ. Uh, and I do not know what shall I choose. I am caught in between the two. I long to depart this life and be with Christ, for that's far better. Yet that I remain in the flesh is more necessary for your benefit. So here's the thing. I'm sitting in prison. There's two options. They're either going to let me out or they're going to kill me because they're going to get sick of me preaching this. I'm not going to stop preaching. He says it's become known to the whole Praetorian Guard. Everybody around me, I'm just preaching the gospel to them. Do you know, who is it? It's uh, Cardinal, uh, Cardinal Van, Van Toit. Have you ever oh, heard yeah. of that? Oh yeah, five blows two fish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, who who they had to he was this Vietnamese cardinal that was imprisoned and they literally had to just keep replacing his guards because he kept converting them all. <laughs> and they just kept sending more and he would preach the gospel and they would convert. <laughs> He's like, "Well, what else am I going to do? My job." So Paul's job is to preach the gospel, <laughs> right? Yeah. He's like, "Okay, my, I've been taken away from my job, so what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to preach the gospel." So he's preaching it to them. 
So he says, okay, they're either going to kill me or they're going to eventually release me and I'll go out. If they release me, then I get to go out and I get to, you know, build up my churches and preach the gospel all the more. If they kill me, then I get to be face to face with Christ. So for Paul, he's saying, look, this is a win-win for me. <laughs> There's nothing they can do to me. There is no need for fear. He, he uses the word rejoice in this letter more than any other, uh, more times than he does in any other book. And ironically, it's a book that he's being stabbed in the back and he's in prison. But he can rejoice because we tend to be the kind of people who mm. lose our joy when the thing that's most dear to us is taken away. Right? Yes. What can they not take away from Paul, the thing that's most dear to him? Because if he lives, great, he keeps on preaching. If he dies, great, he gets to be with Christ. Yeah. There's nothing they can do, and that's the spirit of a Christian. They cannot take Christ from him. That's also the definition of God's ways being inscrutable to the ways of man hmm. and being so far beyond. Because, but, but here's what Paul shows us, is that even though God's ways are so high above our ways and his thoughts are so high above ours, we can tap into that. And that's what Paul's showing us. He says, I've tapped into the worldly illogicalness of God's plan for my life. The world wants me to be afraid. It wants me to fear death. It wants me to, you know, feel all these things, be ticked off because people are stabbing me in the back. I'm not going to succumb to that. I'm going to have the mind of Christ, which is so far above the ways of this world that people are converting around Paul left and right because he's tapped into something that's so far beyond us that we all want. And that's beautiful. And that's where it rounds it out by him saying to these Philippians then, so because of that, citizen yourself in a way of life that's worthy of the gospel. Mm. Make sure the way that you're living is actually worthy of the gospel that you're proclaiming and that I'm imprisoned for. It's really beautiful. It's a that's, beautiful passage. That's awesome. Yeah. That's my little excursus on Philippians. Off-road excursus. Ooh. Off the course. Ooh. It wasn't really off the course, I guess. No. I mean, that leads really well into the gospel. I think it does. Which uh, is Matthew 21, uh, 21 through 16, <laughs> which is the uh, the parable of uh, the landowner who was hiring people, yep. uh, do it, did it all day, kept on going into the market, and everybody worked. And then at the end of the day, he, um, uh, he ended up doing his good things, man. Yeah, he did his thing. <laughs> <laughs> well said. That kind of threw me off. I know. Didn't mean to. He, um, he, uh, I mean, it, it, this is one of those things where, like, it gives me a profound sense of injustice, this one. Well, it, that's, it, yeah. I mean, it's meant to do that because you look and you go, like, man, I've been working hard. And then they, these guys who have just been sitting around all day, they get the equal benefit as me. I mean, like, there is a certain part of me that does feel the, the kind of pinch of the injustice of this. Yeah, you know, I've been going around this e all day. Even though it really shouldn't be unjust. Here's the thing about them, though. So there's two, There's well, there's lots of things we could say. First, though, the first thing that struck me as you said that, have these guys just been sitting around all day? Um, no. What have they been doing? Uh, hanging out in the market. Doing what? Looking for work. Huh. Say when, that again. Well, no, looking for work. Yeah. But I mean, well, this is the thing is that if they were looking for work, he would have pulled them out earlier. Uh, doesn't it say, landowner found others standing around. <laughs> and he said to the, well, the landowner found others, this is right in the middle. It says the landowner found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing around here idle all day? And they answered, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you two go to my vineyard. I, I, this might be a stretch. It might okay. be a terrible stretch. But. I, one of my favorite passages from Acts yeah. is the scene of Philip, the deacon Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember this? Yeah. And there's this guy, this Ethiopian guy. He's trying to read the, the book of Isaiah, actually. He's sitting in his chariot. 
And Philip, uh, prompted by an angel, goes and finds him. And he's like, that's great. You're reading Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless there's somebody to teach me? I've got no one to teach me. He wants to understand it. He wants to get this, but there's no one who's actually invited him in. There's no one who actually to come and teach him. Mm. Some For some reason, that resonated in my mind when I read about these guys. They're not just standing around. They're saying, because no one has hired us. No one has taught us. No one has brought us in. Here's the thing. Mm. This story, this whole parable, is an, wow. al- is an allegory for the the fact that Jesus is about to extend the covenant family outward to the Gentile nations. And there's going to be many in the Christian community, in the Jewish Christian community, who look around and say, well, wait a second. We've had the covenant. We've been given these promises. We've been struggling through this relationship with Yahweh for centuries. And there's been ups and downs, and we've gone into exile, and we have the prophets, and we've lived through all of this stuff. And you guys, you Gentiles, just show up, and you get all the same promises. Then all of a sudden, you're full-fledged covenant members. We have lineages and patronages and bloodlines and you know, sweat and imprisonment and exile and all this stuff. And who do you think you are to just show up and, oh, oh I'm in the covenant family too, even yeah. though I just showed up yesterday. But Got here's it. the crux. Here's the kicker. Okay. Jesus, when he extends, or it's through the hands of Peter and Paul, but Jesus, when he extends the covenant family outward to the Gentiles, Jesus is, this is fundamental to understand in the New Testament. He's not doing anything new. In the beginning, God chose the nation of Israel as a people for his own, as his firstborn son, and their job was to go out and bring the nations back to Yahweh, right? Yes. They failed at it. Yes. They didn't do it. How come, I mean, think about this, try to wrap your head around this. Why is there a nation of Egypt and Assyria and Babylon who are all going to enslave Israel for periods of time? Well, it's because those are actually family members who walked away from the family and were never brought back in. And actually were never invited back into that covenant family. Oh. And they turned away from God and they became idolatrous and eventually they became violent. And eventually Israel's not bringing those people back to Yahweh, as hard as that might have been ended up kind of biting him in the rear because those same people turned violent and then took him into exile. Mm. I mean, what do I, I, there's so many analogies I want to make. Some of them are dangerous, so I'm hesitating to do it. Yeah, don't. But it's, it's really profound. And this is the, again, the key to this is this. Um, it is unjust in a certain. No, it's not unjust. Well, well this is the this thing. is what the landowner makes clear. It's not unjust. <clears throat> Injustice would have been paying the people who were there all day less. They got one denarii. That was the a day's wage, and the book of Deuteronomy makes it clear you have to give them that day's wage by sundown that day. So he says, okay, that's the law. Here's your day's wage. If I choose to be generous and give a day's wage to somebody else. What is that to you? It's not injustice. Injustice would be giving someone less than their due. Yeah. He gives everyone their due, and he gives some more. Yep. So uh, um, it's I think it's Ed Shree and Curtis, Ted Shree and Curtis Mitch in their book on Matthew. They talk about the fact that, you know, if you picture these people at the end of the day, at the end of the 12-hour cycle, who've only been there from 5 o'clock, so it's about an hour left to the workday, 11 twelfths of what they earn that day is pure, total, unabashed gift. Yes. Right? One-twelfth of it they earned. The rest of it is complete generosity and, and total gift. How do we wrap our minds around the... Fa- I mean, oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, what else do I want to say? What am I trying to say about this? It's not logical, right? But it's generous. It's generous, but God's ways are not our ways. They are far God's above thoughts, our, days, our ways. No. And, yeah. 
I'm trying to think of where Israel's responsibility here is in the parable, because, you know, the land, the, the workers who came at the beginning, you know, it wasn't their job to go and find other workers and bring them in with them. That's, that's not their job. So the analogy breaks down with Israel. But when you expand this outward, I mean, it was Israel's job in the beginning to bring these peoples back to, the, to, to Yahweh. They're called an elder brother, the oldest brother, because the job of the older brother was to be the priest of the family who showed the Lord to the rest of the siblings. Israel being called an older brother implies that there are other siblings. It doesn't necessitate it, but it implies it. And if those other nations are now persecuting and killing and exiling them, it suggests to me that someone didn't do their job in the beginning. Yes. At the risk of putting the blame harshly. That's just the reality. Well, but it's collective. But, but it's not just It is an collective. Individual. Yeah, this is the people of God. It's But God says basically, look, I've done your job for you. He comes in at the climax of human history. He becomes incarnate as a human being. And he says, great, you failed at this job, so I'm going to come and I'm going to do it on your behalf. And who on earth are you to gripe about the fact that I've done the job that you were called to do? And you're complaining that a bunch of latecomers came because I invited them in after you were supposed to have done it yourself? I've done the job that you should have done, and I've brought these people into the family. It's not their fault on a certain level that they weren't invited into the family earlier. Mm. It's not necessarily, I, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who's like, Oh, everybody's fine. Nobody's to blame in anything, blah, blah, blah. I'm not that, but the workers who were standing around idle in the, in the marketplace, I mean, part of me wonders that they, they weren't invited. They were never hired. No, granted, I'm, you know, there's, I, I mean, here's the thing. I'm thinking like a 21st century American who sees the guy on the side of the road with the sign and my immediate thought is, well, what are you doing? What are you doing to try to get a job? What are you doing to try to get off the streets? Are you doing something? Or are you being proactive? And I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. And that, that is true. I don't know the answer to that question. <clears throat> no. That's where we can't be stingy with our generosity because we don't know. Yes. But at the same time, you and I work in ministry. And specifically, we're working in university ministry. And we know that unless these students, unless the people out there actually have an invitation from a human being... They're not going to go to mass. No. They're not going to come to the events. No. Nope. Few people are just going to show up at the door and ready to be serviced. That's just not how it works. Nope. So who are we, when I read this then, in that position, who are we to look at these workers who are standing around because no one has actually invited them in? Yeah. What I see is our students who are all around us who are saying, you know, I'd probably love to come to mass. Nobody's ever invited me before. Yeah. That sounds interesting. Absolutely. I'd love to come. Yeah. But I, no one's ever invited me. I've never had an invitation. And then who are we? You know, you can picture somebody, oh gosh, I don't know. You know, somebody becomes a reader or a lector, you know, or a server. And somebody else is like, well, I've been going to church here for years and I've never been a server. I've never been, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of an analogy. Well, I mean, what I, a foolish thing to think though. Well, it was like we, uh, we were hanging out. We were going to go throw some Frisbee, walking past a guy as we we're doing outreach. And we're like, hey, you want to go throw a Frisbee with us? And he's like, sure. He's like, I'm not really religious. I've never been Catholic, never really been Christian, but I'll throw a frisbee with you guys. And then he's like, wow, you guys are actually really religious. This is cool. What about this whole religion thing? Yeah. And now all of a sudden you have somebody and he's showing up and he, he's coming hanging out with the socials because we're a good group of people. Yeah. But it's just, it just, it's like so slight on what I what an invitation. What does work in the vineyard mean? It's actually, it's actually the perfection of our nature. It's, it's communion with God, ourselves, with neighbor and creation. Like, it's working on all of those things and to believe that God can accomplish those things. And imagine that guy, I don't know who he is, but imagine that guy who was just invited in kind of at the last minute, then 
ended up being really talented at something and ended up on you know the core team of student leaders at St. Thomas Aquinas or ended up leading a Bible study or taking on some leadership and maybe some other student who's been around for three and a half years is thinking, well, geez, I've never, I want to be a student leader. I've never done those things. Yeah. Should this guy be discounted just because he came late to the game or he was invited no. recently? Of course not. So this is where the, the injustice part of it is a little bit misleading. I don't, I don't know. It's not even. Uh, I don't know exactly what what pastoral advice I'm trying to pull from this. I, I, I my mind is all over the board because there's so much. I feel like it's so rich and it's so applicable. Well, and we're so stingy and yeah. bitter as human beings, and even as Catholics, yeah. we're stingy and bitter people. That's just what we do. It's not who we are, but it's what we do. Yeah, and we don't like. I remember, you know, years ago when I was first coming back to the Catholic Church. Well, uh, well. I was coming back to the Catholic Church and I was really big into like Scott Hahn and Jeff Cavins and Tom Smith and all these guys who were fantastic. And I was working at this place. I was doing ministry. I was teaching in a place where most of the teachers at this place where I was teaching were converts to the faith. And I remember there were some people there who were actually kind of mad about that. They were bitter. They were like, well, where, you know, what's the deal with all these Protestants who are coming? Do you have to be a Protestant to work here? You have to be a former Protestant who converted to, to teach here now? Is that the deal? And it was like, what a silly, what a silly thing to think. Yep. Just because these people are motivated and on fire for their faith and can articulate it in a unique way. Who cares? You know, what's the, maybe it should make all the Catholics step up their game a little more. Yeah. But I, I remember seeing that and thinking, wow, that's just weird. What an interesting gripe to have. Yeah. But, you know, you're like, well, this is our family. This is our place. This is our community. And you just, you're, you just came. You just showed up, which is precisely the tone the church is going to take in the first century. Who do you think you are to suggest anything or to be leading anything or to be bishops for Pete's sake in this church? Who do you think you are? We've been around for centuries. But this is what we do as humans, isn't it? It is. So. Dude, <clears throat> well, the Lord's ways are far above our ways. Indeed. Um, yet at the same time, he's invited us into his heart and to be able to actually see how he works. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that his ways are above our ways. And yeah. that's why we are called to supernature to, Indeed. to go above, to rise up and to follow after him. So true that everybody, thank you for turning in, ter turning in, turning today. into the, to the podcast people, the podcast. <clears throat> so you guys are the best and you are. Uh, uh, look us up and make a comment on Facebook. Um, tell us what you think. Make, may you know, do a review on iTunes. Oh yeah. Um, tweet us or you know, just do all those things. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, you guys are the best. You guys are the best. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Uh, send us an email, Thomas Lanky guys at thomascenter.org. Father Peter is on Facebook. It's my, it's my thing. All right, we'll be back next week, you guys. <laughs> See you then. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado www.thomascenter.org You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org See you next week.